We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The Law School of America. Internationally. Article 17 of the United Nations International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights states. 1. No one shall be subjected to arbitrary or unlawful interference with his privacy, family, home or correspondence, nor to unlawful attacks on his honor and reputation. 2. Everyone has the right to the protection of the law against such interference or attacks. United States. The origins of U.S. defamation law predate the American Revolution. One famous 1734 case involving John Peter Zinger sowed the seed for the later establishment of truth as an absolute defense against libel charges. The outcome of the case is one of jury nullification, and not a case where the defense acquitted itself as a matter of law, as before the Zinger case defamation law had not provided the defense of truth. Though the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution was designed to protect freedom of the press, for most of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court neglected to apply the First Amendment to libel cases involving media defendants. This left libel laws, based upon the traditional common law of defamation inherited from the English legal system, mixed across the states. The 1964 case New York Times Company v. Sullivan dramatically altered the nature of libel law in the United States by elevating the fault element for public officials to actual malice, that is, public figures could win a libel suit only if they could demonstrate the publisher's knowledge that the information was false or that the information was published with reckless disregard of whether it was false or not. Later the Supreme Court held that statements that are so ridiculous to be clearly not true are protected from libel claims, as are statements of opinion relating to matters of public concern that do not contain a provably false factual connotation. Subsequent state and federal cases have addressed defamation law and the Internet. Defamation law in the United States is much less plaintiff-friendly than its counterparts in European and the Commonwealth countries. A comprehensive discussion of what is and is not libel or slander under United States law is difficult, as the definition differs between different states and is further affected by federal law. Some states codify what constitutes slander and libel together, merging the concepts into a single defamation law. Civil defamation. Although laws vary by state, in the United States a defamation action typically requires that a plaintiff claiming defamation prove that the defendant 1. Made a false and defamatory statement concerning the plaintiff. 2. Shared the statement with a third party, that is, somebody other than the person defamed by the statement. 3. If the defamatory matter is of public concern, acted in a manner which amounted at least to negligence on the part of the defendant, and 4. Caused damages to the plaintiff. American writers and publishers are protected from foreign libel judgments not compliant with the U.S. First Amendment, or libel tourism, by the Speech Act, which was passed by the 111th United States Congress, and signed into law by President Barack Obama in 2010. It is based on the New York State 2008 Libel Terrorism Protection Act, also known as Rachel's Law, after Rachel Ehrenfeld who initiated the state and federal laws. Both the New York state law and the federal law were passed unanimously. Defenses to defamation that may defeat a lawsuit, including possible dismissal before trial, 
include the statement being one of opinion rather than fact or being fair comment and criticism. Truth is always a defense. Defamation per se. Most states recognize that some categories of statements are considered to be defamatory per se, such that people making a defamation claim for these statements do not need to prove that the statement was defamatory. In an action for defamation per se, the law recognizes that certain false statements are so damaging that they create a presumption of injury to the plaintiff's reputation, allowing a defamation case to proceed to verdict with no actual proof of damages. Although laws vary by state, and not all states recognize defamation per se, there are four general categories of false statement that typically support a per se action. 1. Accusing someone of a crime. 2. Alleging that someone has a foul or loathsome disease. 3. Adversely reflecting on a person's fitness to conduct their business or trade, and 4. Imputing serious sexual misconduct. If the plaintiff proves that such a statement was made and was false, to recover damages the plaintiff need only prove that someone had made the statement to any third party. No proof of special damages is required. However, to recover full compensation a plaintiff should be prepared to prove actual damages. As with any defamation case, truth remains an absolute defense to defamation per se. This means that even if the statement would be considered defamatory per se if false, if the defendant establishes that it is in fact true, an action for defamation per se cannot survive. The conception of what type of allegation may support an action for defamation per se can evolve with public policy. For example, in May 2012 an appeals court in New York, citing changes in public policy with regard to homosexuality, ruled that describing someone as gay is not defamation. Record Awards The record libel verdict in the United States was rendered in 1997 against Dow Jones in favor of Mer Group Incorporated, awarding $222.7 million. However, the verdict was dismissed in 1999 amid allegations that Mer failed to disclose audio tapes made by its employees. Criminal Defamation Less than half of U.S. states have criminal defamation laws, and the applicability of those laws is limited by the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, and the laws are rarely enforced. At the federal level, there are no criminal defamation or insult laws in the United States. However, on the state level, 23 states and two territories have criminal defamation laws on the books, along with one state, Iowa, establishing defamation-slash-libel as a criminal offense through case law, without statutorily defined crime, Alabama, Florida, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Montana, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Mexico, North Carolina, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, Virginia, Wisconsin, Puerto Rico, and Virgin Islands. Group Defamation Group libel has been on many occasions shown to be found by United States courts to be a crime which was punishable under common law. There were three notable early cases in United States law which found group libel to be a criminal offense. The first of these cases was State v. Brady, 1890. The holding of this court found that the law is elementary that a libel need not be on a particular person, but may be upon a family, or a class of persons, if the tendency of the publication is to stir up riot and disorder, and incite to a breach of the peace. This holding is similar to that of King v. Osborne, in that the court found the prevention of riots to take priority over the protection of speech. Jones v. State of Texas, 1897, took place a few years after Brady and held a similar view on group libel. This case was, 
however, different in that it concerned the defamation of streetcar conductors in Galveston. The court still sided with the state, saying that it therefore would be a violation of our statute to libel any sect, company, or class of men without naming any person in particular who may belong to said class. Going further than strictly outlawing libel against a religious or racial group, the Jones Court found that libel against any group, even a class of workers, had potential to lead to violence between groups. People v. Spielman, 1925, upheld the same statute as the one in Beauharnais. In this case, publications defamed members of the Knights of Columbus, falsely assigning an oath to them. In this case the defendant was found guilty of a libel on both the membership of the American Legion and certain named members of that organization. The holding that individual members were libeled relied on doctrine from the Osborne case. Though these individual members were not named in the publication, their ties to the Legion gave them adequate claim to a criminal libel offense. These three cases played a large role in solidifying the American conception of group libel law as it was interpreted in the Beauharnais case. Though the common law interpretation of group libel law has generally been referred to in United States court cases prior to the case of Beauharnais v. Illinois, the courts have not always taken this stance. There are two notable group libel cases prior to Beauharnais where the court went contrary to the holding of Osborne. The first of these cases was Drosda v. State, 1920. This case examined an instance of libel on the leaders of a Bohemian national organization. The court dismissed their claim, stating that a government or other body politic, a corporation, religious system, race of people, or a political party, are not subject to criminal libel. Nor could a publication referring generally to any of these be made specific or libelous. This judge believed that since the libel in question was directed towards those people whom you call leaders, there was not sufficient evidence that those claiming to have been libeled against actually had any comments directed towards them. The court in People v. Edmondson, 1930, also denied claims to an apparent case of group libel. In this case, the defendant was accused of libel towards the Jewish community. The judge sided with the defendant, writing that such an indictment cannot be sustained under the laws of this state, and that no such indictment is one based upon defamatory matter directed against a group or community so large as all persons of the Jewish religion has ever been sustained in this or any other jurisdiction. The judge further said that when one realizes how many forms of religion might consider themselves libeled and seek legal redress, where our law is so extended, and when we reflect on how our courts might, in such event, find themselves forced into the position of arbiters of religious truth, it is apparent that more would be lost than could be gained by attempting to protect the good name of a religion by an appeal to the criminal law. In this case, the judge finds that it would be unreasonable to expect courts to take on the responsibility of deciding whether statements towards a religion should or should or should not be considered libel. Though group libel generally favored the Osborne holding prior to the Beauharnais case, there is also a well-documented record of United States courts taking a position which more closely resembles that of the Orm and Nut holding. Beauharnais v. Illinois Beauharnais v. Illinois is one of the better-known cases of group libel in the United States judicial system. Joseph Beauharnais was arrested in 1950 for distributing leaflets in Chicago. Within these leaflets, Beauharnais called upon the Chicago government to take action to address the constant and continuous invasion, harassment and encroachment by the Negro. An Illinois law outlawed the distribution of any material which portrays depravity, criminality, unchastity, or lack of virtue of a class of citizens, of any race, color, creed or religion which said publication or exhibition exposes the citizens of any race, color, creed or religion to contempt, 
derision or obloquy or which is productive of breach of the peace or riots. Beauharnais disagreed with this law, and believed that his publications should be viewed as protected speech rather than group libel. In a 5-4 decision, the court found Beauharnais guilty of libel. In his majority opinion, Justice Frankfurter wrote that Beauharnais' comments provoked hostility, and, given Illinois' history of racial tensions, should be outlawed. Justice Black, in his dissent, stated that he believed that the statute could be abused to protect speech that otherwise should not be protected. However Frankfurter disagreed and said that every power may be abused, but the possibility of abuse is a poor reason for denying Illinois the power to adopt measures against criminal libel sanctioned by centuries of Anglo-American law. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Group libel laws, according to Frankfurt, played an important role in the history of common law, and its existence prevents speech that could lead to violence from being recognized as protected speech. Though the Beauharnais case seemed to set a strong precedent protecting criminal group libel laws at the time, subsequent cases took a stance which more strongly favored speech protections. Our AVV City of St. Paul, 1992, is one of the most notable of these cases. In St. Paul, Minnesota, it was a crime to place something in public which could cause anger, alarm, or resentment, on the basis of race, color, creed, religion, or gender. Representing the unanimous court that held the ordinance invalid on its face, Justice Scalia explained and qualified the categorical exclusions for defamation, obscenity, and fighting words. These categories of speech are not entirely invisible to the Constitution, but instead can, consistently with the First Amendment, be regulated because of their constitutionally proscribable content. In this case, Scalia believed that the St. Paul law was a clear case of viewpoint-based discrimination, and therefore unconstitutional. The court in Virginia v. Black, 2003, held in a 7-2 decision that its opinion in our AV did not make it unconstitutional for a state to prohibit burning a cross with the intent of intimidating any person or group of persons because it prevents intimidation rather than discriminate on the basis of a defendant's beliefs. In her opinion, Justice O'Connor wrote that as a factual matter it is not true that cross-burners direct their intimidating conduct solely to racial or religious minorities, the First Amendment permits Virginia to outlaw cross-burning done with the intent to intimidate because burning a cross is a particularly virulent form of intimidation. Instead of prohibiting all intimidating messages, Virginia may choose to regulate this subset of intimidating messages. She clarified that a state may choose to prohibit only those forms of intimidation that are most likely to inspire fear of bodily harm. Justice Thomas descended to this holding, giving similar arguments made for prohibiting flag burning. He wrote that all cross-burning should be exempt from the First Amendment due to the historical association of cross-burning with terrorism. Justice Souter had his own opinion, defending all cross-burning, even those acts which are committed to cause fear because of our A.V., citing a problem with the statute's content-based distinction. While common law has traditionally interpreted group libel laws in a way which protects against defamation, subsequent United States court holdings such as that in our AVV City of St. Paul, 1992 and Virginia v. Black, 2003, have taken a stance that is more protective of free speech. Related torts. 
Some jurisdictions have a separate tort or delictive injury, intentional infliction of emotional distress, outrageousness, or condition, involving the making of a statement, even if truthful, intended to harm the claimant out of malice. Some have a separate tort or delictive invasion of privacy in which the making of a true statement may give rise to liability, but neither of these comes under the general heading of defamation. Some jurisdictions also have the tort of false light, in which a statement may be technically true, but so misleading as to be defamatory. There is also, in almost all jurisdictions, a tort or delictive misrepresentation involving the making of a statement that is untrue even though not defamatory. Thus a surveyor who states a house is free from risk of flooding has not defamed anyone, but may still be liable to someone who purchases the house relying on this statement. Other increasingly common claims similar to defamation in U.S. law are claims that a famous trademark has been diluted through tarnishment, see generally trademark dilution, intentional interference with contract, and negligent misrepresentation. Criminal laws prohibiting protests at funerals, sedition, false statements in connection with elections, and the use of profanity in public, are also often used in contexts similar to criminal libel actions. The boundaries of a court's power to hold individuals in contempt of court for what amounts to alleged defamatory statements about judges or the court process by attorneys or other people involved in court cases is also not well established in many common law countries. Canada. As is the case for most Commonwealth jurisdictions, Canada follows English law on defamation issues, except in Quebec where the private law is derived from French civil law. In common law, Defamation covers any communication that tends to lower the esteem of the subject in the minds of ordinary members of the public. Probably true statements are not excluded, nor are political opinions. Intent is always presumed, and it is not necessary to prove that the defendant intended to defame. In Hill v. Church of Scientology of Toronto, 1995, the Supreme Court of Canada rejected the actual malice test adopted in the U.S. case New York Times Company v. Sullivan. Once a claim has been made, the defendant may avail themselves of a defense of justification, the truth, fair comment, responsible communication, or privilege. Publishers of defamatory comments may also use the defense of innocent dissemination where they had no knowledge of the nature of the statement, it was not brought to their attention, and they were not negligent. In Quebec, defamation was originally grounded in the law inherited from France. To establish civil liability for defamation, the plaintiff must establish, on a balance of probabilities, the existence of an injury, fault, a wrongful act, damage, and of a causal connection, link of causality, between the two. A person who has made defamatory remarks will not necessarily be civilly liable for them. The plaintiff must further demonstrate that the person who made the remarks committed a wrongful act. Defamation in Quebec is governed by a reasonableness standard as opposed to strict liability, a defendant who made a false statement would not be held liable if it was reasonable to believe the statement was true. Regarding defamation on the internet, in 2011 the Supreme Court of Canada held that a person who posts hyperlinks on a website which lead to another site with defamatory content is not publishing that defamatory material for the purposes of libel and defamation law. Criminal Defamation In Canada, the Criminal Code specifies the following as criminal offenses. Defamatory libel, defined as matter published, without lawful justification or excuse, that is likely to injure the reputation of any person by exposing him to hatred, contempt or ridicule, or that is designed to insult the person of or concerning whom it is published, receives the same penalty. A libel known to be false is an indictable offense, for which the prison term is a maximum of five years. 
The criminal portion of the law has been rarely applied, but it has been observed that, when treated as an indictable offense, it often appears to arise from statements made against an agent of the Crown, such as a police officer, a corrections officer, or a Crown attorney. In the most recent case, in 2012, an Ottawa restaurant owner was convicted of ongoing online harassment of a customer who had complained about the quality of food and service in her restaurant. According to an Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe official report on defamation laws issued in 2005, 57 persons in Canada were accused of defamation, libel and insult, among which 23 were convicted, 9 to prison sentences, 19 to probation and 1 to a fine. The average period in prison was 270 days, and the maximum sentence was 4 years of imprisonment. United Kingdom England and Wales Modern libel and slander laws, as implemented in many, but not all, Commonwealth nations, in the United Kingdom, and in the Republic of Ireland are originally descended from English defamation law. The history of defamation law in England is somewhat obscure. Civil actions for damages seem to have been relatively frequent so far back as the reign of Edward I, 1272-1307, though it is unknown whether any generally applicable criminal process was in use. The first fully reported case in which libel is affirmed generally to be punishable at common law was tried during the reign of James I. From that time, both the criminal and civil remedies have been in full operation. English law allows actions for libel to be brought in the High Court for any published statements alleged to defame a named or identifiable individual or individuals, under English law companies are legal persons, and allowed to bring suit for defamation, in a manner that causes them loss in their trade or profession, or causes a reasonable person to think worse of them. Allowable defenses are justification, the truth of the statement, fair comment, whether the statement was a view that a reasonable person could have held, absolute privilege, whether the statements were made in Parliament or in court, or whether they were fair reports of allegations in the public interest, and qualified privilege, where it is thought that the freedom of expression outweighs the protection of reputation, but not to the degree of granting absolute immunity. An offer of amends is a barrier to litigation. A defamatory statement is presumed to be false unless the defendant can prove its truth. Furthermore, to collect compensatory damages, a public official or public figure must prove actual malice, knowing falsity or reckless disregard for the truth. A private individual must only prove negligence, not using due care, to collect compensatory damages. To collect punitive damages, all individuals must prove actual malice. Criminal libel was abolished on January 12, 2010 by Section 73 of the Coroners and Justice Act 2009. There were only a few instances of the criminal libel law being applied. Notably, the Italian anarchist Errico Malatesta was convicted of criminal libel for denouncing the Italian state agent Ennio Bellelli in 1912. Libel law in England and Wales was reformed by the Defamation Act 2013. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America